The AAPA conference is coming up May 18th through 22nd in Houston. I'm so sad that I will not be there, but some of my favorite people will be. So I want to make sure that y'all know who to look out for. So if you're heading down to the conference, make sure you go by the Blueprint and Rosh Review table. They're giving away all kinds of stuff stethoscopes, seats in the review course. They're talking about how Rosh Review has joined Blueprint and what that looks like. But definitely go stop by, say hi, get some swag, tell them I said hello, uh, and it'll be a really good time. I'm sure y'all will have an awesome time in Houston. Make sure you go to Torchy's Tacos, my absolute favorite, and spend some time in the exhibit hall exploring we know that I love Rosh Review um, by Blueprint, and they have so many great resources. So whether you're looking for QBanks, pants review courses, now is the time. And usually there's some special stuff, so go check it out. Welcome to episode 26. Have you ever wanted to pick the brain of a former PA program director? Yeah, me too. Today, you get to hear advice from the inside. Let's go. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club Podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. Okay, so I teased this episode at the end of the last episode and told you guys it was coming, and I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm Savannah. If you're new to the podcast, I am a dermatology PA and the creator of the PA platform. And today I have a really great interview for you guys. So a while back, I was introduced to this guy um, named Dr. Ken Harbert. And I was introduced by my friend Brian, who runs a website called My PA Resource. And if you've been listening, you know that that's where you can go to get your personal statement edited, and that's where I edit personal statements. I've been working with them for a while, and they only use PAs, so if you're in that stage and you need your personal statement edited, make sure you go to myparesource.com and use the code PREPAClub for a discount, but also they have a free video workshop to check out that if you're struggling, now's the time. It is March. CASPA opens next month. You got to get on it. So anyway, um, he, Brian introduced me to Dr. Harbert, and first he sent me his resume, which was 20 pages long. So I was already impressed. I mean, the amount of publications and talks and just really cool stuff that Dr. Harbert had done was really, really impressive. So once I got to actually talk to him, um, I found out just how much he's been involved with the PA profession for years and um, practiced in a lot of different areas, worked with a lot of different PA programs, started PA programs, held every single position from teacher to admissions to director at a PA program. So this guy knows his stuff and he knows the way around everything having to do with PA school. So I'm very honored to have him as part of our PA platform team. And one thing he does for us is he offers his time as doing phone consultations with students about either their competitiveness or interviews. We'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. 
But for now, let's get to the interview where we talk about how to be competitive and just his tips and advice for every part of the process of getting into PA school. Hope you enjoy it. To start out, Dr. Harbert, just can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit, I don't know, you have a, a lengthy resume, but give us just kind of a snapshot of your background and your history and your just everything. Well, thank you. I, that's really easy to do. My name is Ken Harbert. I'm a physician assistant first and always. And uh, I have been for a little over uh, 40 years. Um, I took the route back when I was a PA and, and interested in becoming a PA. I had read about the Duke PA program and the MedEx PA program in Northwest. I was a Navy corpsman. And when I came out of the military, I became an EMT and paramedic, then an instructor for paramedics and EMTs. And I got interested in becoming a physician assistant. So I did something a little unusual back in the early 70s. I applied to 18 PA programs. And I got into 16 of those programs. And I finally went to State University of New York, Stony Brook. And I'm glad I did. Um, from all the other schools that I interviewed in and were accepted in. Um, so I traveled around the country for about six months interviewing at various PA programs. And um, I went into PA school, um, did all my rotations in New York, uh, graduated from PA school, and was one of the first PAs to go into psychiatry. I went into psychiatry because um, I hadn't any experience in psychiatry. I'd been in the military in the Navy for four years. I had experience in trauma, emergency rooms, in the field. I'd been a paramedic and EMT. So that wasn't new to me, but psychiatry was very new to me. I worked at the University of Pittsburgh and also taught at their PA school where they had a PA school at uh, Allegheny Community College in those days. And I was their uh, didactic coordinator for their PA program back in the 70s in my spare time. Most of my time was clinical. Um, I've been involved in as a clinician, as an educator, an academic, and as a researcher. My research uh, was really started because of my experience in psychiatry. I've done over about 35 years of research in post-traumatic stress disorders and traumatic stress. Cool. And um, after I left the uh, University of Pittsburgh, I went to Washington, D.C., where I worked for Aldous and Broadus as their clinical coordinator, and I was a hospitalist at Greater Southeast Community Hospital. While there, I worked with George Washington University PA program and Aldous and Broadus PA program. By the way, when I was at the University of Pittsburgh, I worked with uh, the Detroit program, which was run by Harriet Lane Gales in those times, excuse me, Harriet Gales, and also for the Yale University program in Connecticut. So even back in the 70s, I had experience working with PA programs, uh, but I was basically a clinician and a part-time faculty member. Okay. I left um, Washington, D.C. and went to um, Geisinger Medical Center in Danville, Pennsylvania, where I became the administrator for about 300 PAs, some nurse, 45, 50 nurse practitioners and nurse midwives. So I was involved there with a number of schools, George Washington University, Drexel, um, a 
number of other schools in Pennsylvania, Lock Haven, and a few others that would send me um, PA students to do their clinical rotations. I also worked with Thomas Jefferson Medical School in arranging for their rotations at Geisinger. But literally, I was in charge of credentialing, hiring, firing, <laughs> looking at quality of care, risk management, and also the education of PA students for their clinical rotations. Uh, while there, I also started a postgraduate program in surgery and a postgraduate program in internal medicine. After I left Geisinger, I went out to the West Coast and worked in Idaho, and I won't go into every one of the schools I worked for, but let's just say I helped start eight PA programs and worked in two others, uh, both in telemedicine and in administration. Cool. Um, I've had every job there is to have in the PA program. I've been a didactic coordinator, clinical coordinator. I've been an associate program director, program director, associate dean, assistant dean, and dean. So I pretty much had every academic role there is to have in PA world. I've been a member of the American Academy of Physician Assistants since 1975. Um, I was one of the PAs, uh, myself and Marshall Simbach and John Krimbath established the roles and uh, regulations for PA utilization in hospital roles. And I was very active in both the uh, APAP, which was the Association of PA Programs, which is now PAEA, and also the PA Foundation. Um, I helped start the Veterans Caucus of the American Academy of PAs focusing on veterans issues. Mm -hmm. And I was involved as a liaison between the American Academy of PAs and the Vietnam Women's Memorial Project. And later on, I got invited to Europe and worked with uh, the Ministry of Health in the Netherlands in helping promote the PA profession in the Netherlands by working at the University of Arnhem Nijmegen as a full professor. I left um, um, the APA programs as a full professor, went to South College, my last place, where I was the dean of the physician, School of Physician Assistant Studies. I had about 85 students in the first year, 85 students in the second year, and 85 students. That, so a total, I had a total of over 200 PA students that I was responsible for. and. Uh, Let's see, the other role I've had in PA program, which I think is important to all your listeners, is that I have been on a mission committee yep. for PA programs. I've been on a mission committees for PA programs, medical schools, and nurse practitioner programs for the last 35 years. Fortunately or unfortunately, I've also chaired those programs. <laughs> so, so you're the one rejecting people, right? I'm the one that sort of said, nice try, no cigar. And... Um, you know, having interviewed at over 18 PA programs myself as a student, trust me when I say I know all the right questions, all the wrong questions, and all the questions you never want to answer um, until you say, excuse me, I've got to go to the bathroom and come back. <laughs> or don't come back. Or don't come back, right. Find the door and leave. Yeah. Um, and I know the best, I know the good, bad, and ugly of interviewing because I've seen and I still see programs as a consultant that do the best, bad, and ugly of interviewing, either individually, group-wise, or with other individuals from the administration involved. Mm -hmm. um, 
one of the things I learned also in medical school interviewing is that we're not that different from medical school interviewing, but in a sense we are different. We're looking for a more comprehensive person than most medical schools look for. So that's a rather interesting thought when you think about the difference between medical school and PA school. So that's yeah. a little bit about my background. I have a PhD in health education, a minor in uh, health ed and educational administration. I have a master's of health administration. Uh, I'm a PAC emeritus these days. I'm not board certified anymore, clinically practice. I still am um, certified as what's called a master health educator, master certified health education specialist. So I still do a lot of health education work mm -hmm. and I'm still involved in some traumatic stress uh, research and post-traumatic stress. Okay, do you miss practicing? I miss practicing every day, but I also realized that <clears throat> I stopped practicing about uh, four or five years ago because I realized that as an administrator, when you're only practicing two days a week, you're really not there to give as much as you could to the patient. I've practiced clinically in psychiatry, trauma, uh, emergency room, internal medicine, family practice, hospice, and occupational medicine. Mm -hmm. So the beauty about being a PA is I've been able to work in all those areas, but all those areas gave me a little bit more competency and skill sets to work in another area. So if you think about it, um, all those all those areas of medicine really blended together because you're going to eventually see somebody who has a little bit of everything. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's been very useful to me to have that background. And I, I must say that after practicing psychiatry for four years and doing <clears throat> counseling and uh, group therapy with a psychologist or a psychiatrist, um, I've used many of those things that I learned in my grounding as a clinician in psychiatry throughout my practice and all those other specialty areas, particularly those individuals in the waiting room who are very, very, let's say, interested and excited about being seen as a patient to get the right answer for the right problem at the right time. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, you've got awesome, awesome experience. Um, let's, let's dig in a little bit to kind of the admissions stuff. As as a member of an admissions board, like you said, you've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. What are you looking for? I mean, that's that's what people want to know. What can I do to be competitive? What can make me stand out? Um, and I think PA school at this point is so competitive, and there's so much that goes into it as far as the requirements and so many different schools. What what are you looking for or what are admissions panel people looking for? Savannah, I think you brought up a very important part. One of the, one of the things of interviewing that's essential as the process goes is to remember what you're up against. Competition today is even stronger than it's ever been. As I mentioned, recently I was a dean of a PA program and we had 3,500 applicants for 85 slots. Wow. So basically, we were very, very careful about who we picked. And when you read, you know, about a school on the web and you see that you only need a 2.75 or a 2.9 or a 3.0 GPA, you need to have an appreciation that's their minimum. Mm -hmm. So the question is, 
what are you looking for? I would say the average BA program today has about 1,000 to 2,000 applicants. Um, that's for a continuing program. But let's go back a little bit and talk about PA programs. There are now over 229 PA programs out there. They're divided into two groups, provisionally accredited and continuing accredited. Where most people who are candidates today get confused, a provisionally accredited program is a program that's just beginning, but it's still an accredited program. If you get accepted into that program, you're gonna graduate as a PA. Mm -hmm. If you go into a continuing program, you will graduate as a PA. So it doesn't matter which type of program you apply to, it still allows you to have the outcome as a PA. Here's a key. One of the keys is that when you look at a provisionally accredited program, because they're just beginning, they may have less applicants for that program. So you might have a better chance where they might see 200 or 200 or 250 applicants where you're up against another school that's continuing, which might see 1,000 to 1,500 candidates. So as you can see, you have a better chance with a provisional accredited program. Yeah. Everybody has a school they want to go to, but with today's numbers, you ought to have a list of at least, I think, anywhere from five to 10 programs that you wanna to go to. They ought to be a mix of your number one programs, your number two programs, and your number three programs. Part of that mix, like picking mutual funds, ought to be a conservative group of provisionally approved programs. It gives you a better chance of getting in. Yeah. So what are we looking for? We're looking for the perfect PA, right? Yeah. So we, we want to see somebody with a 3-9 average. They're a team player. They're motivated. They're mature. They're not whiners. Um, they're going to succeed through our program, they're going to pass their boards, and they're going to be a great PA. Well, there's no such thing out there. What we're really looking for is somebody who comes in who's dressed right, who speaks right, who's confident, who's motivated, who knows a little bit about our school, who's been on the web and read our mission, our goals, who we are, what we are, a little bit about our faculty. So if you see a face that's familiar to you on the web, you can basically say, oh, I read about you on the web and I know that you do research in this area or that you teach this. So you have some understanding of the family that you're going to get into. I like to tell people, think of it as a job because really you're interviewing for your career as a PA. There's two points of that. The first point is you. The second point is them. As we talk about they're good, bad, and ugly. If you go in there and you don't feel comfortable with what the program is telling you, and you don't feel they're answering your questions, you don't feel like there's a right mix between you and the program, you don't feel like there's a good collaboration between the faculty and the students, then my question to you, is that a school you're really gonna be comfortable in? Mm -hmm. um, the other thing, it, as a job interview, a lot of folks like to stand out, but I think if you go into most interview rooms, everyone dresses the same way. And I don't care, I'm not that concerned about color. I'm more concerned about looking professional. 
And as a PA, we should all try to look professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that when you go in for this um, interview, you should treat it like a job interview. You should figure out, okay, if I'm going to go to Yale University, I'm not going to wear jeans and a t-shirt. <laughs> if I'm going to go be interviewed in a small school that's a provisional school, let's say in the West Coast or in the West, uh, I'm not going to wear a tuxedo. But bottom line is I'm going to go looking like a professional. You can never dress too up. If you wear a suit, if you're a woman and you wear a dress suit, if you're a man and you wear a dress suit, that's fine. You want to look professional because people are going to be looking at you saying, you're a candidate. You're here to show us the best side of you. So you want to show up. Like I t- I t- I've told people interview uh, before for you, dress like your mother has her best friend there <laughs> and she wants to show you off that's how you ought to show up i also think it's the little things have a pad a professional pad with paper in it and have questions that you want to ask the program already done on that paper so you don't have to worry about what you're going to say also do some research about the program so when you ask a question it's really a good, solid question about what that program can do for you or a misunderstanding that you might have about the program based on what you've seen on their website. In addition, I think we need to get a lot of sleep the night before, exercise, watch what you eat. And this is the other thing that's tricky because when you go in for an interview, I've noticed that a lot of PA programs, I've been to about four or five in the last year, have a lot of food and munchies for breakfast for students. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they don't. You'll be lucky if you get a bagel. But a lot of places have a really nice bread, both on the West Coast and on the East Coast, for students who are coming in as candidates. The biggest mistake is thinking that it's, you know, it's Einstein bagels or it's a free cafeteria. Remember, you've got faculty members or students in there looking at you all the time. So be yourself be professional (laughs) so don't like gouge yourself on food while you're there right basically bagels in your pants pocket don't put those muffins those blueberry pan made muffins in your pocket and don't drink too much coffee so you have to pee every 10 minutes just focus (laughs) on being professional think of it as a job interview a lot of programs do what I've done all my life, and that is you'll meet students that are there mm-hmm. when you go in for an interview. Those students usually report to the admissions committee about who and what you are and what you've said. Basically, I hate to say it, but they're spies for the program. Yep, I was one of those. <laughs> and what I used to do is have them sit at breakfast with, with candidates that came in, or more importantly, at lunch. And I also involved students. When I first started interviewing almost 15, 20 years ago, I didn't involve students. Today, in the last last couple years, I've always included students in interviewing. Students can tell me more about a candidate than most of my faculty can. So remember, you're a professional, always have a professional appearance, always think like a professional, um, and 
don't ever, ever, ever mention. You know, that last school I went to interview in was really lousy. They did this, they did that, they were so horrible, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Never, ever, ever put down another PA program or PA faculty. Because um, you don't know who's friends with who, you don't know who used to work there. And none of us want to hear during interview process you say anything bad about someone else, particularly a PA. Yeah. Um, so those are a few hints <laughs> on how to get through an interview process. Okay. Before, let's jump back to even before the interview. What is going to help someone, if you're just looking at their application, what is going to land them that interview? Is it the personal statement? Is it their experience? What are you looking for when you're skimming through thousands and hundreds of applications? Well, it's interesting you said that. I belong to the Association of Medical Educators in Europe, which is made up of medical schools from around the world. And a friend of mine who was the associate dean of the medical school, a school in Tennessee, and I went together. And we met with about 25 other uh, deans and associate deans of medical schools uh, from around the world. And what were you talking about? You were talking about admissions, which is really an interesting subject. And we all sat there, and one of the great questions was, what are you looking for in a candidate? And I brought this back, and I talked about it at PAEA, and I've talked about it at a few other different programs around the country. But here's what I would say. The top five are, we're looking for somebody who's academically prepared, mm -hmm. who's covered the basic sciences. We're looking for a traditional and a non-traditional student. We're looking for somebody who's a team player. Have they been in sports? Have they been in the military? Show me what they've done on a team. How have they been a member of a team? What have they learned on a team? What activity did they have on a team? How did they help another teammate? How did they help make the team better? You know, team basically means together everyone accomplishes the mission. But the bottom line is, how are they involved as a team member? That might be as a volunteer at a, at a homeless shelter. That might be at a free clinic. That might be doing as a scribe in an emergency room or as a Navy corpsman or an Army medic. What did they do? Were they a paramedic, an EMT? That's important. And then, as you mentioned, what about the thing, the experience you've had? Do you really describe it well enough for me to understand and everyone on the, you know, we all have different roles in healthcare today, mm -hmm. but you want to explain who you are and what you are very clearly. So I would have three or four people, three or four people read my application before I send it in to make sure that they understand what a scribe is, make sure they understand what a medical assistant is, making sure they understand what a, atomic technician is really understand what I did and the number of hours I put in doing it now if you're a nurse if you're a paramedic if you're a military woman or man who's been in an army navy marine corps coast guard etc um, you're gonna that's pretty easy to describe who and what you are but there's a lot of other roles out there the other thing we're looking for is someone, as you mentioned, has a good narrative about themselves. Mm -hmm. And what does a good narrative have? 
it's real. I mean, you can go online today and read six zillion narratives of people on how to write them. But the bottom line is, what makes you stand out? Have you ever had someone in your family who's been sick or ill? Have you ever been sick or ill? How did you deal with that? When was the first time you heard about the PA profession? Have you, any, have you met any what I call giants in the PA profession that said to you, this is the person I want to be? I had the pleasure of meeting Vic Germino and Ken Farrell a thousand years ago and people like Jeff Henrik and a number of others who encouraged me to become a PA because they were in the first PA program at Duke University. And last but not least, my mentor, Steve Turnipsey, was in a third class at the University of Washington Medics program. So these are people who, if I was writing today, these are people who were my giants. They were the people mm -hmm. who stood out to me as PAs that encouraged me to become a physician assistant. So that's what we're looking for. We're also looking for somebody who can pass a standardized exam, like a GRE. And people forget they can take the GRE over and over and over again. And nobody cares about how many times you took it or how bad you did. They only care about the, the, the best one you did. Um, not all programs require GRE. Some do, some don't. But it's a standardized exam. It'll show where you're weak in language, where you're weak in sciences, where you're weak in qualitative and quantitative data gathering. So it's a really good, if you will, um, way of looking at candidates. Mm -hmm. Some people have a formula. They'll look at GPA, GRE, and experience and hours, and they'll kind of rate you among other candidates. So how do you stand out? If your experience isn't strong enough, if you don't have enough hours and, they and the school requires hours, wait a little while. Give it another six months. Get some more experience. You don't have to go to PA school this year if you don't have the right requirements. And I say the same thing to people who can't get in. Mm -hmm. Don't give up. If you can't get in this year, apply next year. Look at the 10 programs you're going to apply to. Pick one or two of the same ones you applied to before and say, hey, guys, I applied before. I really want to go there. <laughs> so they might give you a shot just simply because you're coming back and reapplying. Uh, because now you have more experience, you've be taken a grade, you've got a better grade, you've added a couple grades. And that's the other thing. When we talk about biological sciences, remember, that the sciences are crucial to all the applications through CASPA. So if you did badly in a subject, you've got a D or an F, retake. Mm -hmm. Or if you feel like you don't have enough sciences, there's no reason you can't go and take genetics, microbiology, urology, hematology. Show that you're very interested in medicine. Take some more medical kind of courses. Genetics is great. Statistics is always useful. Eh, I wouldn't worry about physics as much as medical school looks, still looks at physics, but physics isn't as important to me as some of the other courses. I mm -hmm. say that knowing I have a PhD physicist as a daughter who <laughs> doesn't agree with me whatsoever. Go figure. Um, so that's basically some of the things that I would say. Well, I think that that's a, a good, I mean, especially the things that you said you're looking for, particularly in a personal statement or the narrative, I mean, those 
those things I think are what's important. I think sometimes people get, they want to tell a specific story or something kind of dramatic that has happened to them, which is fine, but you've still got to have the meat there of, like you said, why you want to be a PA, how you found out about it. There, there's got to be more than just, you can't use 5,000 characters to tell one story. Um, you've got to put more into that. And like you said, I mean, I think sometimes people in the experience details, when they are explaining what they've done, they they just list a few things or assume that I know what they've done and don't use that space wisely. So I think the tip of having other people look at it and say, can you tell what I did? Does this explain it well is awesome um, for sure. I mean, I don't know. It's it's just tough. And I know you've worked with some people through the PA platform who are reapplicants and who have been through a few cycles and are really just looking to figure out how they can improve themselves, which you just covered a lot of that. Um as, well, let me, add, let me mm-hmm. add one more thing. Yeah. It just, it just triggered the brain cells. <laughs> I think, you know, the other thing about narratives is that a lot of people who apply to PA programs think, oh, they're not really going to really read this, or it's really not going to mean that to them. Mean that, that I got to tell you, as the chairman of the admissions committee forever, God, over 15 years, I hate to think about this, <laughs> at different schools. I can't tell you the times that a faculty member who was reading it or somebody who was reading it would come to me and say, you've got to read this personal statement. And you read it and you go, wow, this person's really telling us that this is a profession that they've really thought about for a long time. It's in their blood. It's really important to them. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would, I've always told students and candidates that you've, we've talked to, don't forget that narrative is going to be read by someone. Yeah. So make it make it real. Make it relevant to who you are as a person. And don't don't say, well, you know, like you said, don't don't be extraordinary or um, kind of lay on everything that you think you're not you're not writing a screenplay for ER or for <laughs> Grey's Anatomy. Exactly. <laughs> you basically want to just tell them something personal that says something about who you are mm-hmm. um, and I think that's that's crucial I mean uh, I had a I had a person who was uh, on my admissions committee who had breast cancer and she did a great job she was just a phenomenal woman she got through all her chemo and radiation and everything else and helped a lot of other people so she was very sensitive to what people wrote uh, about themselves if they talked about somebody in their family with some kind of a condition or themselves mm-hmm. but she was also pretty tough so if you really that's all you wrote about she wouldn't accept it she wanted to see someone who said this was my illness but that's not who I am this is who I am yeah and not so, making excuses right not making excuses for oh this is the reason why I had to leave school for a year mm-hmm. yada 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 and I'm thinking you know she had two kids and she was she was with chemo and radiation and everything else and she still worked 80 hours a week so you know um she's not going to let that go by for anybody else but uh i i just think that narrative is very very important so uh, and i can actually remember the narrative i i must tell this story to you okay 
I saw uh, my dear friend Steve Turnipseed about uh, six months, eight months ago, and he was my mentor in, in Stony Brook back in the 70s. And I said to him, I said, yeah, I was curious. I said, Steve, why did you accept? Why? And he said, Ken, the reason why we accepted you was you wrote in your personal statement how as a Navy corpsman, you had found that medicine opened your eyes up to the future for you as a person and that it meant something important to you to be able to care for other people. And as you cared for them, you learned more about how to care for yourself. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, did I write that? I can't even remember. <laughs> that sounds good, right? <laughs> but he remembered it. I mean, right. This is 40 years later, he still remembered what I wrote. Yeah. So... I mean, I think you know that I edit statements with Brian, who you in, who introduced us, um, with my PA resource, and I can remember the essays that I've read that just, um, and they they weren't the ones that something crazy happened, but they were the ones that were just so genuine and honest, and really I felt connected to just what they've done to get here and I really felt like oh my gosh this person's gonna be a great PA because they just are so passionate about it and I can tell that from their writing and so um I, I've seen that too I mean it's kind of cool to read I mean those are kind of the refreshing ones where it's just like man this person needs to get in um but there are definitely a few that are that I come to mind when I think about them well, and I think you mentioned, you, you, made, you hit the nail on the head. It's that passion that stands out that, uh, you know, you can say you're passionate all, the t- all, all day long, but mm-hmm. until you show me that you're really passionate, um, it ain't going to happen. But right. The bottom line is that stands out among everybody else. And you just need to be real about it because um, we, when you read, you know, when you read 150 to 200 narratives, um, I want to become a PA because it becomes it becomes a little bit too much, and mm-hmm. you're going to avoid that kind of narrative. Yeah. Um, if you read a narrative that's more like a little story about the person, mm-hmm. um, and it's more personal, uh, like you said, and has some passion in it, um, that's going to make a big difference for you. Yeah. And like you've said a couple times, like being personal. And I feel like, I don't know if you've seen this, but that's something when I'm doing mock interviews that I feel like people struggle with a lot. And apparently I don't have this problem because in an interview or just any setting, I tend to be completely unfiltered, which may or may not be a good thing looking back on my interviews. But um, I think sometimes it's refreshing. But also people just struggle with, with being personal and opening up and being vulnerable and honest, I feel like I think people try to say the right thing, um, which isn't what, in my mind, what admissions people are looking for. They really want to get to know you. Is that correct? I think that is. And I'll tell you a funny story. I had a, I had a candidate a number of years ago who was a Navy SEAL who showed up in uniform and he was sitting there with three women, and they were, um, they had just graduated from college. He had been in, in overseas for a number of years. And, you know, 
We accepted the three women. We didn't accept him that year. He had to wait a year to get back in the PA, PA school. Mm -hmm. But one of the things was that while he was a really good, good candidate, um, he didn't really realize that one of the things he needed to talk about was he needed to talk about what he did as a corpsman in the Navy, as a Navy SEAL. And it was tough for him because, you know, he's wearing a uniform. He kind of figures everybody knows what he did as Navy corpsman. Mm -hmm. well, a lot of the people on the committee had no clue. Plus, he was in uniform, and being in uniform, sometimes people have varied experience with that. Mm -hmm. People might like people who are in uniform, people might not. And my suggestion to people who are in the military is don't wear your uniform when you go for an interview. You're not going to be a service member when you, when you join the PA program, but rather you're going to be a candidate. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you're going, to be an, you're going to be a beginning PA student. So you need to realize that the people on a committee need to see you as you are rather than you think you are. Um, you wouldn't show up as a paramedic in a paramedic uniform. You wouldn't show up as a nurse in a nursing uniform. So I think particularly for those individuals in the military, they shouldn't wear their uniform when they come in for an interview. And they should realize that they need to explain in civilian terms, unless someone in, unless someone in the faculty has actually been in the military, even then they might, they might not let you know that they know really who you are. Right. So, it's it's always trying to understand your expectation and their perception. Your expectation is that, gee, they're going to see that I'm a wonderful person, very experienced, a team player, just a passionate person about being a PA. And guess what? <laughs> the perception of the people on the committee is, I've just worked eight hours, I'm tired, I'm having trouble at home, yada, 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 and... You're not telling me who you are. So. Yeah, that's one thing that I try to stress in mock interviews is don't assume that your interviewer is making the connection you're trying to make. I feel like a lot of people kind of leave things open-ended or stop their story short without making the connections that they're trying to portray. And you can't assume that whoever's interviewing you is going along with whatever it is that you're trying to show. Um, and I think that's, that's just in general, like with patients, you don't want to do that either. So yeah, and it's, and it's also a gender issue. I mean, you know, let's face it. Some, some males are, <laughs> um, weird about gender. Some women are weird about gender. It, it goes both ways. And you want to, you want to be aware of that. You want to be cognitive of that. You, just because you're interviewed by six women doesn't mean that they're going to accept you. Yeah. Um, they're going to look at you as you are, not as you think that they're going to look at you. So you need to be aware of all those things. Again, to me, it's like a job interview. Um, you know, you go on a job interview to get the job, and you're going to present um, the best part of who you are. But more importantly, you got to have a strong understanding of what this, this business or company does and how they do it, how they do business. And I tell people we're interviewing for a job the same thing. The bottom line is, what do you know about the company? What do you know about how they use PAs? What do you know about how they've used PAs in the past? Yeah. Um, and uh, have you shadowed somebody in the company to find out a little bit more about them? And I tell 
prospective candidates that too. You know, it's it's not a bad idea sometimes to go visit the program you're applying to. Just to, you know, make an appointment, stop in and talk to somebody if you can. Yeah. Some programs won't let you do that. Some programs will. True. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, get as much information as you can ahead of time. Um, but yeah, let's talk for a second about... So you kind of joined in with the PA platform a few months ago and have been doing some consultations. If that's something that someone is interested in as far as speaking with you for either just kind of a pre-PA consultation, figure out where they're at, what they can improve on, or an interview type preparation consultation, what what is that going to look like if someone is interested in that? Well... The, the wonderful thing about what I think the platform offers is it's a place to do everything that we've just been talking about. It's a place to prepare yourself, not only for the interview, but even for an application to get an idea, okay, how do I, what is this process all about? Mm-hmm. It's also a needs assessment to understand what do I need to do to be the best candidate to get into PA school, but more important. More importantly, it gives you an idea of where you might go and what path you might take in order to be the best candidate to get into PA school. Because, let's face it, a lot of stuff out there on the web today, like CASPA, directions, uh, websites for each particular program, um, no one offers what you really have to offer as far as that interaction person to person with someone who can say, hey, have you thought of this? I really like this. You need to work on this. Hey, you didn't get into school this year, but let's try looking at this program. Or, or let's talk about what kind of program you feel really makes you feel like it would be a family for you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's why I've always, you know, in PA programs, I've always made sure that all the faculty were there at the interview days that we would have to interview uh, candidates so that they could see who we were and what we were and what we, what we really did. And um, like I said, I think you and I and others have seen the good, bad, and ugly, and we can give an understanding to somebody who's never been in PA school what the admissions committee is looking for, but more importantly what the process and the path is to take correctly. Mm Because there's a lot of paths that you can take to get into PA school. Some of them are not as good as others. Some of them are the ways in which you run into a lot of barriers. And I think, you know, basically the platform is just that. It gives you a platform to protect yourself on and be able to project yourself through this process as, as importantly as it is but also without any fear of failure. So at least once you get through the platform and and deal with speaking to someone person to person, you get an understanding of, hey, this is like a pre-interview. This is like basically getting ready to uh, go for a job interview. I've already kind of been coached about what I need to do, what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, what focus I should have, how I should deal with the people who are interviewing with me, and 
how I should present myself. So it really is a benefit. I just wish there was something like this when I had applied to PA school <laughs> um, a thousand years ago. Because, yeah. you know, I mean, we all have that one school we want to go to. But maybe, and I, I got to tell you, Stony Brook wasn't the school that was the top on my list. Um, I got to say that carefully because they made me a distinguished faculty. So now I've got to say, you know, <laughs> it was in my top five. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And I never went to the school that was number one. And I never went to that school because when I went to Stony Brook, it was a perfect fit for me. It just really made me feel like I was joining a family and they were going to prepare me the best way possible to uh, become a PA. And um, I think that's what I'd like to do to pay it forward. I really believe in paying it forward. I really think that I, I've been in this profession for a long time and I know how important it is. I know how wonderful it is and I know how much of a difference it's made in my life. And I, if I can help somebody else do that, who's passionate, who has a real belief in helping others, um, who also wants to grow in their career, I'm all for it. Anything I can do for somebody. Well, we are definitely happy to have your insights and advice and I know that I've learned every time I talk to you I feel like I learn a lot so <laughs> it's a good thing for me too but well it's been, it's been good thank you Dr. Harbour for coming on maybe we'll have you on again in the future but yeah I hope this shed some light there you have it so I know that was a little bit long but I hope that you got some good stuff out of it um and yeah I know I did so I will keep this short and sweet, but um, make sure if you do want to schedule with Dr. Harbert to talk to him, there's a link in the description, and you can find that information on my website at thepaplatform.com or backslash services, um, and then, yeah, if you need anything at all, please just reach out on Instagram or email me, and I'll be there if you need me. See you next week.